Thank you for tuning in to Conroe United Pentecostal Church today. We pray that this podcast is a blessing to you. If there is ever anything we can do for you, please email admin at conroeupc.org. Amen. Genesis chapter 9, verses 12 through 17. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant which I make between me and you. Everybody say you. And every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I set my rainbow in the cloud. Everybody say rainbow. rainbow. Set my rainbow in the cloud and it shall be for the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Talking about God and the earth. It shall be when I bring a cloud over the earth that the rainbow shall be seen in the cloud. Everybody say in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh, of all flesh. The rainbow shall be in the cloud, and I will look on it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is on This earth. You may be seated tonight. The covenant that God gave Noah came after a great storm. All of creation was destroyed. That means every animal drowned except for the two of each species that was on the ark. All vegetation was ruined, and every person that walked the face of the earth except for Noah and his family died. Much could be said about this event in history. Many sermons, many Bible lessons, and many small groups have been taught around this very story. How many can look back and remember tonight the first time you heard this story? Perhaps it was in a Sunday school class. Perhaps uh, it was around your dinner table as a child. Perhaps you were an adult and you got in church late in life and didn't know anything about the Bible. And the first time you heard This story was in a Bible study chart where it's a type, uh, where this is a type of God saving his, where God is saving his children and the ark represents heaven and salvation. Perhaps that was the first time that you heard this story. What stands out to me is the fact, and there's many things that we could talk about regarding this story, but the fact What stands out to me the most about this is that Noah found grace in the eyes of God. And if there's one thing that I want to find in my life, and that is grace in the eyes of God. I can find favor in the eyes and and of the opinion and of the promotion of men and of my career. But more than anything else, I want to find grace in the eyes of the Lord. I can find a lot of stuff in this life. I can find significance from relationships. I can find significance uh, from hobbies. I can find significance uh, in in a plethora of different things, and there is nothing wrong with that. But more than anything else uh, in this life, those of us who call ourselves Christians uh, and those of us who proclaim to be Christ-like, we must find grace in the eyes uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ. For if we have found no grace uh, in the eyes of Jesus Christ, we are not saved because Paul said in Ephesians, you are saved by grace. And is anybody thankful for the grace of Jesus Christ in your life? Genesis 6 and 8 proclaims, but Noah 
found grace in the eyes of the Lord. The verses following this uh, in Genesis chapter 6 gives us the specific instructions that God gave Noah to build and to fill the ark. And I can stop right now and say that if you read the book, if you read the B-I-B-L-E, that is the book for me and for you, there is specific instructions to build your life and build your family. But not is there specific instructions to build, but there is a specific spirit that is written about in that book that is to fill your life and your family. We are to fill this church. We are to build this church. But we cannot get caught up in building a church to where uh, to where we forget that God is to fill the hearts of the people that assemble in this church. If we gather in this church and it's just a bunch of hot air and a bunch of people, we can be filled to max capacity. But if God is not filled in our hearts, if our hearts are not filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we are just like those who were not able to make it on the ark. I find it fascinating that God warned Noah and gave him instructions on how to survive the flood. Noah did not realize what was coming his way, but God gave him a warning that a storm is coming to your life. Ladies and gentlemen, so many times the Lord comes to us and he lets us know that a storm is coming to our life. But it is up to you and it is up to I to recognize when God comes and speaks to us. Will we be like Noah and heed the word of the Lord and begin to build an ark that is safe for our family? Or will, or will we be like the rest of the people that populated the earth at that time? Scripture says that there was great giants that roamed the earth and there was sin and there was fornication and there was many things that were anti the spirit of God. And because of that, it had gotten so bad that the only hope for humanity was one man, one wife, and his family. It had gotten so bad that God had to come and to destroy the earth. Let me tell you, God is coming back again to destroy this earth. And as for me and as for my house, we are going to serve the Lord. As for me and as for my house, we are going to live our life according to the Bible. We are going to measure every word, every action, every personal conviction that we have will be measured to the book. It's not how I can measure my life to society. It's not how I can measure my life and my convictions to my personal preferences. And there is nothing wrong with convictions or personal preferences. But what you do with your convictions and personal preferences better match up with the word of God. The church cannot create enough rules. If we wrote a list of rules tonight with the advancement of technology and the evil mind of the flesh, it would be obsolete tomorrow. There was not enough rules. There was not enough legalism that we could put into place to guard your heart and to guard your soul. You must listen to the voice of God and you must obey the voice of God or else you will not be saved. 
I wonder how many times God has sent us warnings, possibly given us clear, direct words of warning regarding a coming storm, but we disregarded them. I can testify that I have done that in my life. Perhaps you can raise a hand and say, I have been there with you. I have ignored the voice of the Lord in my life. I have overlooked warning signs. Maybe I didn't hear the audible voice of the Lord, but I recognized the warning signs that God was putting before me. You see, Genesis chapter 6, verses 18 says, But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall go into the ark, you, your sons, and your wife, and your son's wives with you. You see, just a few verses before, the Lord came to Noah and said, A storm is coming. I am going to destroy the earth. And he gave him specific guidelines to build the ark. It must be so high. It must be so wide. It must be so tall. It must be so deep. Uh, You must use a specific kind of wood. There must only be one door and there must only be one window. And that door must be on a specific side of the ark. And that window must be where I tell it to be. It's not enough that we have one door. It's not enough. It's not enough that we have the convictions. It's not enough that we obey the word of God. But if we do not obey the word of God, specifically how the word of God states that we are in direct rebellion to the word of God. It is possible to do the right things in the wrong way. It is possible to say the right things but have the wrong heart. It is possible to believe the right things but operate in the wrong motives. You can say that you have one door. You can say that you have one window. You can say that you use the right wood but if you do not align your life to the measurements that God gives you that boat will not float when the storm comes. I want my boat to float. I I don't want to be a part of a Titanic. I don't want to be a part of a submarine, but I want to be a part of the ark. I want to be a part of the bride of Christ. Come hell or high water, I must be saved. I must be saved. You see, God told Noah that he found grace in the sight of the Lord. God gave Noah detailed instructions. Also, God told Noah of a covenant that he would make with mankind. He did not make a covenant at this time period, but he told him that I will make a covenant. Let me stop here and say so many times we want the promises of God before the storm. But there are storms in this life that we have to go through before the promises of God can ever be fulfilled. No one knew that a covenant was coming. No one knew that redemption and grace and a fresh start was coming. But there was a storm that he had to pass through first. Church family, child of God, I ask you tonight, are you committed enough to go through the storm without the covenant? Are you committed to God enough to go to the uh, to go through the storm and know that you might not make it through? Are you committed enough to know that you might sink, you might die, but I will obey the saith the word of the Lord. I will obey the voice of my pastor. I will obey the voice of my elders. I will heed the warning of Jesus Christ. 
The only way Noah could have received the covenant or the promise, if you will, that we're talking about tonight uh, was to be obedient uh, to the instructions uh, of the Lord. You see, Noah had not spent 120 years uh, building the ark. Uh, Had Noah not spent 120 years, uh, had he not endured the ridicule that came along uh, with this new construction project, uh, had he not uh, eventually got on the ark, uh, he would never receive the covenant that God previously spoke about. It doesn't matter how long the turmoil may last. It took 120 years to prepare for a storm. He knew a storm was brewing. He knew that judgment was coming and he, it had not even, the storm had not even got there yet yet he was already being persecuted. Church family, what will you do when you're persecuted before the storm ever gets there? Will you be able to keep on with your hammer pounding the nails into the gopher wood of your soul and making sure your family is on an ark, is going to have an ark that's going to float when the last trumpet sounds? Or will you give in to every false doctrine? Will you give in to every realm? Will you give in to every postmodernistic thought that comes our way in this crazy decade, in this crazy time period that we live in? Or are you committed to the cause of Jesus Christ? You see, it's important that we listen when God speaks, and it's equally important that we do what he says when he speaks. It's important that we worship when the worship service, when the worship portion of the service is going on, because that is preparing ourselves to hear the word of the Lord. It is not rituals of hand clapping and toe tapping, but it is literally opening the windows of our soul and preparing our minds to be renewed. I want to talk about rainbows just for a second. Genesis chapter 9 verse 16 says, The rainbow shall be in the cloud, and I will look on it to remember the everlasting covenant that I made. You see, according to this passage, the rainbow is the sign of God's promise to mankind. Everybody say promise. The rainbow is the sign of God's promise. The rainbow is not the sign. The rainbow is not the promise. But the rainbow is symbolic that God would never destroy the earth with water in that fashion again. You see, usually a rainbow is seen when part of the sky is dark with rain, and the other part is sun shiny and beautiful. You see, in, in order to see a rainbow, you'll need two ingredients, sunlight and raindrops. You need black and you need white. How many times in your life do you just want nothing? All you want in your life is the sunshine. You cannot see the promises of God with only sunshine. But it takes a storm to bring the promises of God. It takes death sometimes. It takes God waking us up in the middle of the night for us to pray and for us to fast. It takes heartache. It takes all manner of persecution, whether it be physical, mental, financial, or relational. It takes all kinds of different storms to lead us to the promises of God. And regardless what storm comes my way, regardless what I have to go through to get to the promise, the promise is worth the journey. The promise is worth the trouble. The promise is worth the hill climb. You see, rainbows are frequently seen in the wake of a storm. They come when the sunlight breaks through the rain clouds. 
Rainbows are usually seen in the western sky during the morning hours and in the eastern sky during the early evening hours. The most spectacular rainbow displays happen when half the sky is still dark with rain clouds and the other half is sunshiny. Could it be tonight, church family, that the most beautiful times of life happen when we are in between the storm and in between the sunshine? Perhaps uh, perhaps tonight the beauty of life is not in the valley and it's not in the mountaintop, but the beauty of this life is the journey in between the hilltop and the valley low. Perhaps the journey and the beauty of life is in the climb. Just like I talked about a few weeks ago, there will be problems and persecutions, but we must be able to handle the journey and the climb with diligence, knowing that God has not left us and he has not forsaken us, and understanding with all authority in our bones that God is ordering our steps. You see, it's possible, and I know I'm kind of talking scientific tonight, but it's possible for an observer to see a rainbow from water droplets It's impossible, excuse me, for an observer to see a rainbow from water droplets at any angle. You can't just look up and see a rainbow. In other words, there's a specific place one must be to see the beauty of a rainbow. One spot. To see a rainbow, we must be facing 42 to 48 degrees in the opposite direction of the sun. We are facing the storm. This tells us that there is only a six-degree window where one can see a rainbow. That tells us tonight, if it was true in the Bible and science backs it up, it's a type that there is only a six-degree relationship. There is only a six-degree area where we can stand in our life and we can see the promises and have the covenant of God in our life. Position matters, church family. Position matters. It's not what we do, but it's where we're going and where we're facing. The position that this church matters. We must be positioned towards heaven. We must be positioned towards kingdom things. We must be positioned for an eternal reward. We cannot be positioned toward talent. We cannot be positioned towards music, even though that is a great thing. We cannot be positioned towards our lessons, even though we must have them. Our lessons and our music and our singing and the hands and the arms that we use to open the doors and do all the other tasks around this church must be under the direction and the guidance of the Holy Spirit and it must be for the Holy Spirit. Everything we do in this church must be for the glory of God. It must not be into our own accord. It must not be according to our own preferences or likes or styles. But this church exists for the will of God to be performed in this community. And if we will not perform the will of God in this community, he will find a church that will. But I plan to fulfill the will of God in my life. 
If we want to see the promises of God in our life, we must place ourselves where we are perfectly positioned between the rain or the trials of life and the sunlight, the good times of this life. We can learn from Noah Church family that great promises are given after great storms. Science teaches us that the only place rainbows can be seen are in the rain. Allow me to keep it real tonight. Allow me to bring it close to home. Home tonight. Tonight we started back a choir. The only reason we were able to start up a choir is because we went through hell on earth and we lost a choir. And we lost every singer that sang in a choir. And we lost music ministers. And we lost musicians. And we lost hope it seemed like it sometimes. But tonight I'm here to tell you after we've come through the storm we've now realized the promise. We've now seen the covenant that God God does have a plan for this church. That's why it's important that we worship. We worship when the choir sings because we remember a time when there was no choir. We remember a time when there was no worship. We remember a time when there was no unity. I wish I had somebody tonight that could give God praise for what he is doing after the storm. In the storm, there wasn't worship. In the storm, there wasn't hope. But the storm has gone. And I feel worship rising. I feel hope rising. To receive something from God, we must position ourselves where he is. Could it be the fact that we lost the choir was because we were not where God was? We were not singing what God wanted us to sing. We were not praying what God wanted us to pray. We were not clapping how God wanted us to clap. We were not giving how God wanted us to give. We may have been given. We may have been clapping. We may have been singing. You may have been teaching. You may have been driving a bus, but we might not have been in the right position. We were doing the right things at the wrong place. We were doing good things at the wrong time. Hear me tonight. Like Solomon says, for everything there is a season and this church has gone through a season, but regardless of the season we go through, we must move forward. We must magnify and accept that he is our God. And if God be for us, uh, who can be against us? Uh, We went through a dark time. I preached a message this past Sunday night that did not make sense to me while I was preaching it. It might have gone over okay. I don't even really remember how it went over. But I knew that God was speaking to me. And this very week, uh, God has confirmed some things to this church. I cannot speak about them. They happened in the spirit realm. But word came to me and to my dad that what had happened in the past and everything that was going on, it now made sense. It's not revolved around people, so don't think like that tonight as I preach. But it was revolving around spirits of darkness and wickedness that had crept up in the high places. And you tell me tonight that wickedness won't come in the church. You tell me that spiritual attack won't come. We are living witness that attack comes. We are living witness that wickedness creeps in. But where darkness, where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. And ask Noah about that grace. 
Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 5 says, Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Everybody say Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich, and he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was short of stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see Jesus. The position that Zacchaeus was at was not allowing him, was not affording him the opportunity to see Jesus. He could have been like all the other short people in the crowd and just stood there and just said, oh, I see him through that guy. Or look, I see him coming that way. And they might have caught a glimpse of Jesus. But because Zacchaeus was able and willing to lose all pride and reposition himself regardless of what people said and thought they could have said, ha ha, there's the short man. There's the little man climbing the tree and the cynics and the skeptic and the gossipers and the complainers and the people who were going nowhere in life but like to talk about the people who are could have laughed at him and I'm sure they did but Jesus did not go to their house Jesus went to Zacchaeus house and because Jesus went to Zacchaeus house Jesus told him salvation has come salvation has come to your house today Jesus had not yet died yet Jesus had not shed his blood for sins so just the very fact that Jesus had spent that day with Zacchaeus that means salvation came. That means that Zacchaeus was filled with the Spirit that day. We can't comprehend it. We can't decipher it. But Scripture says salvation had come because Zacchaeus was able to reposition himself in the crowd. He was saved that day. Think of the hundreds and the thousands of people who may be in hell in a few years because they did not reposition themselves. Think about the actions. They all could say that they saw Jesus and they heard Jesus, but only one man in that crowd that day met Jesus. Who is here tonight who sees Jesus? Who is here tonight who hears Jesus? Who is here tonight that feels his presence, but you have no relationship with Jesus? I call on you tonight. Reposition your life. Climb the tree. Get to where Jesus can see you get in his line of sight Zacchaeus learned that sometimes you have to reposition yourself to get where God wants you to be God is not going to move you on your own accord I'm sure that Jesus he's omniscient he knows everything he knew that Zacchaeus was in the crowd that day but the only reason he saved Zacchaeus is because Zacchaeus moved himself some of you are waiting on God to move you to an altar and God to move you to convictions God will never move you where you are too stubborn and you are too lazy to go. It's time that some of us get up off of our seats and reposition ourselves at the altar. It's time for some of us to get off the phone and reposition us with whatsoever things are good, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are just. Think on these things. 
Some of you might be positioned in the house of God, but your mind is positioned in the gutter. The Lord wants you to reposition your mind. Some of you might be positioned in a good place, but your finances are not positioned in the kingdom of God. God wants you to position your finances, your talent, your time. 100% of your being must be positioned towards him. You see, the only home that Jesus went to that day was the home of the fellow who wasn't afraid to reposition himself. Everyone got to see Jesus. A lot of people got Jesus' autograph that day. Some folks, I'm sure, took a selfie with Jesus. Many people tried to touch Jesus, but only Zacchaeus had Jesus into his home. Only one person was able to build a relationship. Everybody got to meet him, but nobody got to know him. Everybody saw him, but nobody really saw him and experienced him for who he is. Only Zacchaeus was able to have real dialogue, a meaningful conversation. Zacchaeus is the only one who Jesus told today's salvation has come to your house. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus looks for people who are repositioning themselves to build a relationship and not a religion. Jesus doesn't want you to be, Jesus does not want to be your acquaintance. He desires an intimate relationship with you. He doesn't want a public relationship that's like the Pharisees. He doesn't want a public relationship where you cry and you shout and you pray and you sing when you're at church and when you're on the corner, but when you are at your home, you live a carnal lifestyle. Jesus wants to go home with you. In the world, people that you take home after the party, you have relationship with them. You go to another level. As wrong as that might be, Jesus wants to go home with you, and he wants to have right relationship with you. He wants to have right covenant with you. He wants to make your life pure and holy and acceptable. For when that trumpet sounds. Moving on to Luke chapter 8. And a woman having an issue of blood for 12 years. It's a long time. It's not 120 years, but 12 years is a long time. Which had spent all her living upon doctors. Neither could be healed of any. The doctors couldn't heal her. She spent all her money on the doctors. This lady came behind Jesus and touched the border of his garment. And immediately her issue of blood staunched or quit or it was healed. The woman with the issue repositioned herself. Many people were in the crowd that day, but Jesus was guarded by the disciples. Jesus had a throng of the inner circle around him. You could not just get to Jesus. It's like going to the mall or going in a public place and seeing someone famous. Everybody gets to see him, but nobody gets to, nobody gets to touch him because there's security guards, there's bodyguards, there is, uh, uh, there's officials of the arena or wherever you're at. You can't touch him. But this lady made up in her mind, I'm going to reposition myself through the people that are guarding him. I am going to break through the barriers that society has placed on my situation. And when I break through that barrier, I am going to touch him and something is going to happen. Verse 45 says, and Jesus said, who touched me? When all denied, Peter and they that were with him said, master, the multitude is around. They throng thee and press thee. And they say, And yet you say, who touched me? 
And Jesus said, somebody has touched me because I felt virtue leave my body. I felt life leave my body. You see, Zacchaeus and this woman, as you stand with me tonight, Zacchaeus and this woman show us that when we position ourselves in the right place, God stops what he is doing to spend time with us. So many in our society, so many in my friend group, so many in my church desire to hear a word from the Lord, but they refuse to reposition themselves. They want to be saved. They want to live right, but they refuse to reposition themselves with the circumstances that they face. I want to give one more, one more illustration that's along the same line in 1 Kings chapter 17. And the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. The Lord was prophesying through the prophet Elijah, and Elijah was talking to Ahab and was telling Ahab that a drought is coming. There's trials coming. There's a storm coming. It might not be a rainstorm, but it was probably a sandstorm. It was probably a storm of finances. It was probably a storm of no crops growing. And he said, nothing is going to grow, and you will not have anything to drink and you won't have anything to eat. As Elijah gives the prop, uh, as Elijah gives this prophecy of the coming drought, uh, I'm sure many questions were going through his mind. How am I going to survive this? Has anybody thought that before? How am I going to survive this storm? I don't understand. Where will my food come from? I know I'm not the only one that's worried about that. What am I going to drink? How am I going to survive? I don't have money or the means. I don't have the ability to make this happen, even though my circumstance says that something has to happen. Verses 2 through 4 says, Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Get away from here. Reposition yourself. Turn your eyes eastward and walk. And go hide by the brook of Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook. And get this, this is crazy. And I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. God was going to send birds. God was going to send a buzzard. God was going to send a chicken or a turkey. I don't know exactly what that raven looked like, but I'm sure it wasn't the prettiest thing. I'm sure it wasn't the most delightful thing, but God used the obedience of a man to go to a place. And because this man was able to reposition himself, salvation came to him. He was saved. The drought did not kill him. Who would have ever thought that in 2015, if God told us to go and leave our homes and go lay on the banks of the beautiful San Jacinto River, just south of River Plantation, we could drink of that nasty water and that God would send the ravens to provide bread for us. You see, that is two miracles in one. Not only was the birds bringing bread, but have, has anybody ever fed a bird bread before? Birds love the bread. Birds don't give people bread. Birds fly up 
up to you and eat your bread. Last summer, I was at the beach and I had a loaf of bread out. And guess what? A bird came underneath my nice little cabana with me and all my wife's family and got to eating our bird. It's humorous, but it's a miracle. God used this bird to do what it normally does not do. The situation that you are in might normally kill people, but you hear me tonight. The situation will not kill you. That storm you were going through will not kill you if you get up and you go where God is telling you to go. You see, the word of the Lord said, reposition yourself. Everybody say reposition. Reposition yourself. Go where I tell you to go and I will feed you. Don't do what you want to do. Don't go where you want to go. Don't go run into mama and don't go run into daddy. Don't go run into your wife and don't go run into your husband. Do what I'm asking you to do. Church family, our husbands and our wives, uh, young people, our parents uh, can never protect us from the will of God. Uh, Our parents uh, must lead us to the will of God. Husbands, uh, you must not protect your family from uh, the will of God. Uh, However dangerous or however scary it may be, we must lead our families to the house of God. Oh, it should be a lot better than that. We must lead our families to the will of God. Get away from here. Reposition yourself. There's no doubt in my mind, church family. No doubt in my mind that if the word of God was not followed precisely, that the promise of food would not have been fulfilled. They could have ran to the wrong river and the water been taste the exact same and watch the birds fly over. We must position ourselves where God is telling us to be positioned. God said, go to a specific place, stay there, do not leave. He said, hide. What do you do when you hide? You bunker down. You're not leaving. You're not leaving the spot where you are, much less the region. You are there. Play and hide and go seek. Think back with me to the playground. What'd you do? You got up in that tree or you got underneath that car. You got in that trash can and you did not leave because you were hiding God has a place that he wants to take us where we are hiding from the things of this world. We are in this world, but we are not of this world. While we live in this world, God wants to put us underneath his wings and protect us. Some of you are eating from chickens when you ought to be eating from ravens. Some of you are hiding under the uh, the wrong wings just because it flies. Just because it eats bread, just because it's bringing you something doesn't mean it's the raven, doesn't mean it's the bird that God has commanded to come to you. There are birds that can bring you stuff in this life. There is people that can speak into your life and speak what seems good, but it can be bringing destruction. And so let's position ourselves for the promise. If we don't follow God's word for our life exactly how it reads, exactly how it reads, 
we will not be saved. The drought is coming. The storm is coming. What I find amazing is to see a rainbow, you have to be facing the opposite direction of the sun. That means you are not looking at the sun. You are looking at what the sun is looking at. Sun here, storm here. The only way I see the covenant is because I'm walking into the storm. I'm leaving the easiness behind me. I read this three or four times this afternoon. Not not the text. I understood the text. The scientific meaning. You have to look at what the sun is looking at. The S-U-N. And I think the parallel to that, and I have no Bible for this, but I felt this, is we have to look at what the S-O-N is looking at. We cannot be facing opposite from the Son of God. But we must be positioned going the same direction that the Son of God is taking us. I don't know who this is for tonight. I don't know when I have felt the feeling that I feel like I do tonight. But God is speaking to someone in this church. And I operate in a realm of the Holy Ghost right now that my notes and that my common uneducated thinking cannot take me. But there is someone under the sound of my voice who is doing the right things but is facing the wrong direction. You are acting like you are a part of the process but you are causing friction in the process. You are acting like you are a part of this church but you are causing division in this church. I do not know what I am talking about tonight, but I know that God is speaking to someone in this church who wants to make yourself available for the promises of God. Who wants to see what the sun sees? And to see what the sun sees, we have to receive the promise. Of the Son. And Acts 2.39 says, For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all who are far off, even as many as the Lord our God will call. As many as He will call. He is calling tonight, and are you answering?